1: We're talking interesting ADP developments from early best ball drafts. Where's CD Lamb going? What about Sam Laporta? And can Kyron Williams do it again? All that and more on RotoViz Radio.
2: What's up, RotoViz?
1: Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Curtis Patrick. I'm joined by Dave Cabin. And we're ready to go for the 2024 season, man. We made some big dynasty trades here in the past couple of days. Dave's been sporting the uh, big board activities over on Underdog Fantasy. And we're going to talk a little best ball slash redraft, uh, you know, early draft reaction uh, in this podcast. There are some really interesting developments in the top fifty or so of early ADP is observed by uh, Dave. And we're gonna kind of peruse the NFL stat explorer, see if we can figure out exactly what it is that drafters are seeing in some of these players, and then offer, you know, our thoughts. Do we agree? Is this too high? Can we see these players repeating? It's always such an interesting time on the draft calendar because you get, you know, best ball sharps that are drafting all year, dive right in. You get some interest from uh, even from the dynasty crew, drafting in these early best balls because you know the rookie ADPs can be exploitable. So there's tons and tons to react uh, to here. Dave's got some names circled in red lipstick, I think, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a look here. So, Dave, who do you want to talk about first? Let's cut it up, man.
2: All right. So there's uh, you know probably little question as to who we're seeing currently go first overall. That is Christian McCaffrey. We'd expect it. But number two, it is the first time that we've seen this player hit this stratosphere. We've talked before, but is this player ever going to be able to push through and do it? Well, we're finally seeing C.D. Lamb make this, uh, you know, huge jump up now into the top five, let alone the top two. He's going as the second player off of the board in underdog drafts right now behind CMC. We haven't seen him here before, Curtis. Does he belong? Uh, should this come as a
1: surprise? It's it's really hard to argue against it. Like rewinding back to this time in, in twenty twenty-three, a year ago, I don't know if I would have bought into the idea that CeeDee Lamb would go as a wide receiver one overall in, in early twenty twenty-four best ball. I just felt like there was enough other weapons in Dallas and some of the guys that were in front of him. I mean At that time, we didn't have the information, you know, what would happen in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow going down and, um, you know, the Vikings churning through quarterbacks uh, as well. But, I mean, when you look at what Lamb accomplished in 2023, I mean, the drafters are justified for sure. I mean, when, you know, you've got our ADP board pulled up from our best ball tools, uh, ADP as a draft grid, it's a really handy way to do some research. And what you essentially have here is C.D. Lamb at the top of a four-deep wide receiver tier. Right. So you've got CeeDee Lamb, Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. But it is interesting and notable that Lamb is in the front of the pack. What do I think drafters see? I just, you know, I think they saw what occurred in 2023 and are projecting it forward. CeeDee Lamb was first in targets, first in receptions, second in receiving yards, first in receiving touchdowns. First in overall uh, PPR scoring, first in PPR scored per game, second in expected points per game, and third in fantasy points over expectation per game. Now, oftentimes we see you know, players with huge roles. Uh, sometimes they have an efficiency drop-off, but Lamb had a huge role and was also one of the most efficient players at wide receiver in the entire NFL. I'm looking at his weekly stat explorer. I've adjusted it for half PPR, which is you know we're talking underdog here. I mean, and it is just uncanny, man. I mean, the guy had three games over 30 points and half PPR, which is very difficult to do. And over the back, you know, two thirds of the season from week eight uh, through 18, uh, he was a wide receiver one in all but three weeks. All in all, he had 12 top, uh, 10 top 12 weeks and 14 top 24 weeks. The only duds in CeeDee Lamb's entire season, they were done and over with by week five. From that point on, he was just straight fire. So you layer in that he had a team target percentage at 30% on a team that did pass the ball a lot. That was fourth amongst all wide receivers. He's in the prime of his career, actually just entering the prime of his career. It's hard to believe he's only been in the league for four years. I mean, there's plenty of run ahead. Tony Pollard's a free agent. This team could pass a ton again in 2024. So I think it's justified. And I mean, good on CD man. He made the most of the opportunity.
2: Yeah, when you break it down like that, it's pretty apparent what happens there. And, uh, you know, people that are drafting now very tuned in, very locked in. So we'll see, man, if he can hold on to this. But fun to see a new name at the top here uh, of, the, of the wide receivers, at least. And one of the things that stood out to me, Curtis, as I made the exercise of taking in all of this new ADP was that we are seeing some more changing of the guard, things really turning over this year. Uh, especially when we've seen guys like Diggs and Adams now fall out of the first and second round. Uh, We're seeing some new players make their way in. One of those young wide receivers is Puka Nakua, who is now currently going as the wide receiver six off the board as the ninth player overall. And I, I was still surprised despite how good of a year it was that people have fully made that correction and have moved past some of the things that they might have been thinking when we saw those first couple of weeks, thinking maybe it was a flash in the pan. You know, we did see him slow down a little bit with Cooper Cup getting back, but people really coming out swinging hard on Puka here, you know, putting him ahead of guys like Garrett Wilson and A.J.
1: Brown. you got to love it. I mean, so the first thing is, is anybody that, Actually had Puka and Best Ball last year. I mean, they were laughing all the way to the bank because I mean, the exposure, uh the exposure wasn't as high as it would have been for you know many of of the other league winning type players. So obviously the guys that you know and gals that made bank off of Puka's long flowing locks last year going to reinvest. But I mean, it's kind of hard not to be excited uh, about them on one hand. You know, the draft capital isn't so concerning when the player just so dominant. I mean, we. You just mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown. It's kind of the same situation. He came into the league with you know, not great draft capital, and he looked excellent right away, and he's just been able to maintain that excellence through his first couple of years in the league. So we have a recent example um, that's actually already being drafted uh, ahead of Puka going into 2024. You did bring up that Puka wasn't quite as strong with Cooper Cup. That is a reason for a little bit of pause Uh, as to whether or not it makes sense to draft Puka so aggressively, especially in half PPR here, uh, in the Rotoviz Game Splits app, I've got 12 games showing where Puka and Cooper Cup played together. And in those 12 games, Puka averaged 15.74 PPR, five receptions and eight targets per game. In the five games without Cooper Cup, he averaged nearly 22 PPR uh, per game, 8.6 receptions and 11.6 targets. So basically three and a half more targets per game, three and a half more receptions per game, and 30 more receiving yards per game. So it wasn't like immaterial that the, some of the stronger games from Puka came when Cooper Cup was out of the lineup. And even when Cooper Cup returned, in some ways it was a little bit more of a decoy. You know, He wasn't as healthy to be able to do the types of things that he's been doing in, in past years. So there's like a small concern in the back of my mind that, Cooper Cup really just is so excellent and has such great rapport with Matthew Stafford that if he was truly fully healthy next year that maybe we could end up over drafting Puka if we take him at this spot in the first round but on the other hand to counterbalance that he could just continue to get better. Uh and and so when you look at those things, you know, you know, right hand left hand, it kind of balances out and it's a player that you want to be excited about for sure. Um, it's just, I think the question that you have to ask yourself in your head is if you're, if you're wrong and he's just good and not great, would you rather have an exposure to some of the tier one B, uh, running backs at this point point in a half PPR draft. So that's the dilemma that people will have once Puka is on the board there, at like the one, nine, one
2: For sure. And we see, um, I didn't actually run it down here, but after Lamont 2, it went Tyree Kill, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Brees Hall, St. Brown, Bijan Robinson, Puka Nakua. He's followed by Jameer Gibbs, Garrett Wilson. And then we get to another player on the Rams, another one of these guys, Curtis, that just came out and absolutely crushed for yeah. teams. I know he was instrumental in a couple of the teams that we had that made it far into tournaments, and that's Kyron Williams uh, going as the RB five. Now, this is another case where I'm pretty impressed that people have made the adjustment for what happened last year, and are going out and taking him in the first round. I have to imagine this probably doesn't come as a surprise to you, but I would imagine you still have a thought or two on this.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not surprising for basically the same reasons that I'm not surprised by Puka or CD. I mean, people are chasing last year's points. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, is it is it something that can carry forward? With wide receivers, we're typically less concerned. With uh, running backs that don't have great draft capital and didn't earn roles in their first year in the league, um, it could be a little bit more uh, suspect. But Kyron was so good uh, in his sophomore year, and the only kind of wart on his whole profile of the 2023 season is just you know that gap in the middle of the year where he wasn't available and he was hurt. If we look at what he did over the course of the season, you know, he played in 12 games. He was at RB1 in nine of those 12 weeks. He was an RB2 or better in 10 of the 12 weeks. And so, again, if you think from a recency bias perspective, none of those RB3 weeks came after week five. So it's kind of similar with CeeDee Lamb. It's like everything that we're thinking about Kyron Williams is just all the great stuff that occurred at the end of the year. And half PPR, Dave. Three of his final six games were 26 points or higher, including a 35.4 outburst in Week 12 and a 29.1 outburst in Week 17. You know, the money week for so many fantasy leagues. When you look at some of his individual, uh, you know, production and efficiency metrics, he was seventh among uh, amongst all running backs in yards per carry, um, third in rushing yards, despite being 15th in opportunities. I think that's really big. Third in total touchdown scored, second in PPR per game, second in expected points per game, and fifth in fantasy points over expectation per game. So similar to CD, he had a big role and he was also efficient. You know, with running backs, volume is typically king, and we see the efficiency fall off. We'll have to monitor that. You know, next year. Also supporting Kyron's great performance was a uh, pretty solid, but you know, short of spectacular, twelve percent team target percentage that was top fifteen amongst uh, running backs. When you think about Kyron's season, I I mean, he was undeniably good. Like, a lot of it was role, but he was also good in the role. So, it feels different than some of the other situations we've seen where, you know, a player like Tyler Algier, for example. Tyler Algier had an excellent rookie season um, and was pretty productive, but it wasn't that... like the team was winning off of his play. And, you know, then they go out and get Bijan Robinson, you know, the next season. You always have to I mean, there's a slight worry that the Rams would bring in some competition, but I don't think that they can afford to draft to draft somebody on day one or day two compete <laughs> with Tyron. And I think tyron's good enough to hold anybody off that they would get in day three. So, you know, again, it's always a risky proposition to take a running back early in any fantasy draft. I mean, that's part of our mantra here at rid of but I mean Kyron Kyron has he has demonstrated league winning upside and had he not missed the middle of that season I mean he would have been in the running and he he would have been right there with Christian McCaffrey battling it out for you know the RB1 crown I think
2: sure And, and the final piece just to layer on here that I think is important about Kyron Williams you go into the stealing signals tool and you look at percentage of team high value touches he comes in 86% of high value touches only player ahead of him is Christian McCaffrey. And if you look through a lot of the stats that we have in that and the other tools, you're going to see him sitting there firmly with a lot of these really outstanding running backs. So it's hard to disagree with that. And I'm, I'm pleased to see uh, him getting, you know, the respect that uh, feels like he deserves in this year's draft. But we move along AJ Brown, Jonathan Taylor, then maybe the biggest surprise that I saw Curtis as I made my way through early underdog ADP at wide receiver nine, the third pick of the second round, Nico Collins is being selected. That puts him ahead of guys like DJ Moore, Debo Samuel, Stefan Diggs. I see you making a face.
1: Yeah, it's like sad trombone effect here. I think so. This is the first one that I would pour some water on, um, and I mean. Credit to Nico Collins. He survived the QB apocalypse of 2021 and 2022 in Houston. They, they were objectively horrible. And because of that, Collins was also pretty not good. I mean, he was, (laughs) uh, he, he was wide receiver 216 and wide receiver 238, respectively in his first two years in fantasy efficiency. Yep. Um, now the quality of the looks that he was getting was abysmal. Um, and so, you know, it's a wide receiver play is so tied to the the quarterback play. And when we saw the quality jump this year, you know, Nico looked great uh, in spurts. But I think people are being a little bit too kind and a little bit too aggressive here to take him at the one-two turn. I mean, a spot below at, in wide receiver positional ADP, a spot below A.J. Brown. It's just a totally different quality of, of role here. Nico Collins did finish and just total scoring as wide receiver 12. So if, if people are you know basically you know box score scouting alone um, and, and not looking at anything else other than production, okay, it's defensible to take a young ascending player tied to C.J. Stroud, who was wide receiver 12 last year at wide receiver nine. But the second you dig into his role at all and then also think about what Houston has available to itself in the upcoming draft, this is where I start to get concerned. So when we think about the role, even with Nico's, you know, partner in crime Tank Dell being there for part of the year, and then and then, you know, the offense changing a little bit when he, when he went down with his injury, Nico was just twenty fourth amongst wide receivers and targets, seventeenth uh, in receptions, and twenty fifth in expected points per game. So he really outperformed the role that he had there in Houston. Um, part of that was ranking top twelve in total touchdowns. Um, and you know, he was very good at yak. You know, he was wide receiver three with 6.9 yak perception. His, his big games were, were big. You know, when we look at half PPR for underdog, uh, he did have two games over 30 points and a third game at 29.6. So he did have some of those monster weeks, but Dave actually, he was a wide receiver one, six times. And in every week where he wasn't a wide receiver one, he was a wide receiver three. And, yeah. you know, in half PPR. Now, in, in regular PPR, uh, you know, he he did have three additional, uh you know, top 24 weeks, but he fell short of that in half PPR. So now let's layer in some context. He was 24th in targets. He was 24th in team target percentage. And that's where he landed, uh, even in a season where, you know, Tank Dell, you know, missed some time. So if Tank Dell hadn't missed the time, would he have been able to rack up even the the role that he did rack up. Now let's layer in that Houston has some elite draft capital available to it in in a year where the top of the NFL draft is loaded with prototype, exciting wide receivers. This is a team that's gonna continue to invest and build around CJ Stroud to try to win a Super Bowl during his rookie contract. And so I would be shocked if Houston did not invest early draft capital uh, in, in a wide receiver. That's gonna be bad news for Nico, Going to be maybe great news for CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud probably becomes the way to play this Houston uh, Texans offense, or a cheap running back play. But these receivers <laughs> are going to be really tricky, and probably all of them end up overdrafted, uh, including maybe the rookie that would that would land there just on the excitement uh, and people wanting to be right. So I, you know, sorry Nico, I think you're being overdrafted here at the top of the second round. I would wait. I mean, I would feel more comfortable like in round four here.
2: Yeah, I think that it is a little too rich for my liking. I liked, like, I was really behind Nico heading into last year. Uh, it's going to be a lot harder this year just because, at least at this point, Curtis, it's hard to imagine a repeat performance like this. You look at a player like Nico and what he found himself in, and it does feel like there's really good odds. That last year was going to be the peak from what you're going to see from him, just on a number of factors. Uh, So it's a bit more of a fragile situation for him, I feel like, than with some of these other names. Uh, As we move along here, as I said, DJ Moore's behind him, Uh, you got a Chan, then Marvin Harrison Jr., people, you know, making their claim on him early, Josh Allen, then Rasheed Rice. And we both, uh, I know, from talking through trades and whatnot, like Rice I feel like you are likely good with him going at this spot, and I imagine that you would put him over Nico.
1: Yeah, I think I think so. Just because the Chiefs are not, the Chiefs are going to have spots to fill still in their offense, and maybe there are a potential landing spot for uh, you know a free free agent wide receiver that would be willing to take a discount but they've actually been pretty bad at adding free agent wide receivers. Part of that is because the cap challenges that they have because of Mahomes' contract, but they have not been good at adding um, additional supporting cast around Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes ever since they, you know, traded Tyree kill uh, away. Rice is the, the, by far in a way, the most exciting thing that they've been able to add. So, you know, on you know, first and foremost, there's no guarantee anybody they would bring in would be of any you know level of quality. And second, if, even if they bring somebody in, I mean, there's a lot of speculation about Travis Kelsey retiring if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. And if he does, that's just a massive, massive void. That's going to take more than one player to fill. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is gushing about Rasheed Rice, you know, in pre-Super Bowl interview, media circuit he's talking, you know, he has a chance to be a star, one of the better receivers in the league. He loves working with them, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a chance that, but there's not a chance it is reasonable to suggest that Rasheed Rice's role could grow for any number of reasons uh, in ways where Nico Collins maybe benefited uh, already from some of the things that would have caused him to have a massive role and it just didn't really materialize. So yes, I mean at their ADPs I would rather have Rasheed Rice and if you're going to force me to take one or the other where Nico was going, I would rather just overdraft Rasheed Rice by a half round than take Nico there uh, at the beginning of the second.
2: Got it. So they're followed by uh, Samuel and Ayuk, then Saquon Barkley, Stefan Diggs, Devontae Adams, Chris Olave. Then we get to another interesting name here. People really loving the Houston Texans offense. As you said, though, it seems like Shud's probably the way to play it because at the third pick of the third round, Curtis, we see Nathaniel Dell being selected.
1: Yeah, that's tough, man. Uh, that's tough. Um, it, it's He's going to be in a role, you know, I think we've talked about this with Houston and yeah. the way their offense is developing. I think he's going to be in a role similar to maybe like what Will Fuller was in where, you know, he's attacking deep. He's the over-the-top option. He's just so hard to to track. Um, I mean, he's obviously smaller than Will Fuller, but it's kind of that element and as this team continues to add quality in the offense, he will have some boom weeks. But, I mean, this just seems like a... Where both of these players going, it fail it fails to account for Houston investing in a really high-end wide receiver. Now, I mean, I could see it if the NFL draft comes and goes and they don't invest a day-one pick in a wide receiver, okay? Then I could maybe get on board with one of these guys going up here, but this is just this just feels risky. I mean, there's guys that have locked in. I mean, they're boring. I get it. And you want the flashy name, but I mean, Michael Pittman was getting he was going to pick behind. He's a free agent. I get that. But if he's back in in Indianapolis, he was getting twelve targets a game with Anthony Richardson. I mean, Mike Evans isn't falling off at all. I think he's a way better bet than Nathaniel Dell uh, to provide you know quality this early uh, in the draft. And he's, even as you get into like late round four, like almost two rounds later, like, I mean, I'd, I think I'd rather have Amari Mari Cooper. I know he's getting older, but Mari Cooper, Drake London's going more than a full round after tank Dell in early drafts. I mean, we're going to get a, a Rams offense in Atlanta, uh, and, and Drake London. I mean, we we've, we've seen Cooper cup benefit. We've seen Robert Woods benefit. We've seen, Kuka Nakua benefit. I mean, Drake London uh, is set up as best as he's ever going to be set up to succeed. Even Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle, I, I think all of these guys are guys that I'd prefer to to tank Dell. Um, fun player, but this feels like a big reach.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree there. All of those names that you mentioned, I'd be more interested in. Uh, let's 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 close it out here though, Curtis, with a player that it's easy to make a case deserves to be here. Um, but it's still kind of surprising to see him land already in this spot. So after W had Michael Pittman, he's followed by this player, then Travis Etienne, DK Metcalf, Mike Evans, Malik Neighbors, Jalen Hurts, Keenan Allen, and Isaiah Pacheco. But with the fifth pick of the third round as the overall tight end one, Sam Laporta is being selected. And I guess there's two prongs to my question here. Uh, one, what are your thoughts on him going as the tight end one? And then two, what are your thoughts on him actually being selected that early?
1: Uh, great questions. I mean, so being the tight end one is, is fair. I mean, he, he was the tight end one last year and half PPR. I mean, he, he finished his rookie season as the tight end one and, um, you know, chasing last year's stats at tight end has always been a good strategy for like the past decade, thanks to Travis, (laughs) (laughs) just just keep drafting that, you know, and and even, I mean, when he, when he hasn't been hurt, I mean, it's basically been Mark Andrews or Kelsey has been the argument here for a couple of years. And, and Andrews, when he's been healthy, has also kind of warranted that. And even some of the other uh, tight ends that have gone earlier, George Kittle comes to mind and TJ Hawkinson more recently, you know, those high end guys have, you know, typically panned out to be high end guys year after year. So just taking him tight end one, I think is fine. Now going in the third round requires some projection forward because he was tight end one in 2023, but he was only the tight end one by 17 points over Evan Ingram. Um, He actually had 23 fewer targets than Evan Ingram and at 28, fewer receptions than Evan Ingram. He just happened to score more touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so 17-point gap, is that worth, like, the the four or five-round gap between him and, and Ingram? And if you go down further, I mean, sure, you know, he, he outscored Kelsey in raw scoring, but he actually was not the tight end one in fantasy points per game and half PPR. Kelsey still held on to the crown. Um, and TJ Hawkinson actually outperformed on a per-game basis as well. But it was a down year for tight ends. Like, there were more... It was more of a logjam of quality, but we didn't really see anyone break that elite ceiling. And so I take more of an issue with the fact that he's being drafted in the third round. Now, it's not the first round where we've seen Kelsey and Andrews go in recent years, so I think there is some level of adjustment and conservatism there. But Sam Laporta scored 196 half PPR points in 2023, and that was good enough for tight end one. If you look at the most recent years before this, You know, 2022, Travis Kelsey had 265, 70 more points, and he outscored the tight end two by 90 points, not 17. In 2021, Mark Andrews was the tight end one with 250 points, so just shy of Kelsey's 2022. Uh, Kelsey in that year played one fewer game, managed 218, but over the tight end three, uh, Mark Andrews outscored the tight end three by 80 points. Uh, offering kind of that positional advantage. And if we continue to go back, we just continue to see more of the same. In 2020, Travis Kelsey outscored the tight end three by 90 points and put (laughs) up a massive 262 (laughs) fantasy points. And so you have to say, like, how can Sam Laporta, how can he rack It's going to take another 50 points to warrant – like first round consideration for third round consideration, I'd at least want like half of that delta. I'd want to see him in like that 225 range. The issue is a lot of his the strength of his scoring really came through the touchdowns. And you know we do see tight ends in, involved um you know as touchdown scores consistently, but across the board, most of the other tight ends were down. like if you if you go into our NFL fantasy summary, No other tight end scored more than six touchdowns this year, and Laporta had 10. If we go back into other recent seasons, you see a lot more of a you know kind of an even um, or I guess a a shallower curve. Last year, two tight ends scored uh, 11 or more touchdowns, and we had two more score seven or more in 2021. Uh, We saw five tight ends score eight or more touchdowns, and so I think there's some variance there that will be corrected. We would have to see Sam Laporta become – just a yak monster and be targeted down the field a lot more. The reason that Andrews and Kelsey, the driving reason that Andrews and Kelsey put up such that gap is they're posting 1,300 or more receiving yards. Mm. And what we saw from Laporta is 889 receiving yards this year. So uh, that's a little bit of a warning for me. I would rather than take Sam Laporta in round three and and hope that he can add – 500 receiving yards to his resume next year I would rather take Mark Andrews in the fifth round or George Kittle in the sixth round or what would make me really excited is just to run back Evan Ingram in the eighth round so I think it's a thoughtful question and people just need to think about what did tight end one really mean in 2023
2: yeah, I think the framing uh, really works out there. I think that at first, you know, it was kind of surprising to see Laporta get sandwiched in there. I shouldn't actually say sandwiched, and he's actually significantly in front of Kelsey. But then you look back, you can kind of make sense of it, especially with some questions surrounding, you know, Kelsey's future. But the jump forward that he needs to take for that pick there to make sense is, is the type of jump that I'm just not going to bank on, and I'm just not going to uh, stake, you know, a significant investment this year into, of course, this is the time of year that you see people doing some really interesting things. Uh, it occurs to me though, Curtis, and I know we're trying to get out of here quickly tonight. We have not even mentioned the big game yet. We have not mentioned it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I need to hear
2: what's, uh, what's your prediction. And then, then I will let everybody get out of here and get ready for that game. I don't even need the score. Who's
1: gonna win this game? I mean, I really don't. I, I, I'm gonna say the Niners. I'm gonna okay. say the Niners. It opened
2: um, at Niners minus two, I believe, or at least that's yeah, that's a saw I, I like last week at one point. So,
1: I think it's a great matchup. I think you have great coaching on both sides, um, and you can really like. It's just one of those years where, I mean, the, the Niners were so great all year other than basically one flop game. The, the, their quality of play was so consistent, and they have so many weapons. They're in, in many ways, they're kind of the opposite of the Chiefs. The Chiefs seem to have gotten there in spite of the lack of quality mm-hmm. of their weapons, and they're getting hot at the right time. And, you know, it's just the reason that I I sighed and waited five seconds to respond is it just, it just feels, it just feels like the new England pseudo dynasty or actual dynasty where time and time again, Brady and Belichick would get there and it didn't seem like it made sense on paper, but there Brady finds himself with the ball in the fourth quarter and it, it just happened over and over and over and over again. And you know, if if the Chiefs can keep it within a score, they'll probably win. I think, you know, the, the, the Niners need to, to force a turnover and just ride the heck out of McCaffrey and, you know, get Debo involved in the backfield a little bit. I think, you know, grinding the clock. I'm sure Shanahan has a great ground attack planned uh, for this game, which which could be tough sledding um, against the Chiefs. But I'm going to go with the Niners, and mostly that's just because I want to see them win. Um but I don't feel great about the pick. There's not much conviction there, if you can't tell.
2: Yeah, no, I I can't wait to see this game. I think it's gonna be a fun one. I I really think you know it's a it's a coin flip. It's so hard to try to tease out what's gonna happen. Forced to choose though, I think I would go with Kansas City for some of the reasons that you mentioned, and they just you know they seem to have it down, and they seem to be the team that just finds a way to pull things out uh, in today's in today's NFL. However, though Curtis, I actually lied. We can't get out of here just yet. I think that we're going to be announcing some exciting news fairly soon, and I just want to give you forty-five oh, seconds yeah. to talk about it. Yeah.
1: Well, um, let's wager. Let's wager that the loser, uh, the loser of the game. So if the if the Niners win, you have to draft Nico Collins at two o three in your next underdog draft. And if yep. and if the Chiefs win, I will draft Nico Collins at two o three.
2: Okay. In, All right.
1: Uh, my next. <laughs> Uh, underdog draft okay so yeah exciting news um we have come out come out of the rookie think tank and we are ready to announce our i guess pre-announce our uh pre-sale of the 2024 rotoviz fantasy football rookie draft guide we're gonna have our pre-sale open up this coming monday right after the super bowl and i mean what a great week that's going to be of um you know, tension and build up. We're going to have a pre it's going to be very similar to the last six years where we've been doing this. We'll have a pre combine issue, a post combine issue, and then a post NFL draft issue. Uh, So the week of February 19th, I believe it is, is when that first guide would come out. Sean uh, and I and Dave and Blair have already been figuring out what players are going to have blurbs in the first Uh, and the first issue of the guide, we're working on all the design elements and the mock drafts. And we're just really juiced up over this thing. It's going to be our best one ever. The second one will come out, uh, the week immediately following the combine. And then the third one will come out, um, actually the day after the NFL draft concludes to have you ready for all of those FFPC and high stakes rookie drafts that occur, you know, in that week that follows. So, uh, look for some announcements from us and the email. We'll talk about it on the pod, obviously next week. Uh, There will be a discount to buy all three volumes up front as we've done traditionally in the past couple of years. And, you know, we'll figure out other ways to communicate the opportunity with you as well, but we appreciate everyone's support uh, for, you know, this publication over the past couple of years. We think we're making it better and better and better each time and finding ways to to add quality for the practical application that you need. We're not trying to give an NFL uh, scouting report. We're trying to give a fantasy scouting report, and we know that's uh, what you come to RotoViz for. So thanks for the reminder on that, Dave. And we will definitely be chatting that up a lot next week.
2: Thank you for listening to the RotoViz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at C. Leave us a voicemail at 978 615 9214. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.